Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Is that better? Is that on? There you go. I am, I am pleasantly spread out. I saw 4th of July. I'm like, it was going to be me and the dog and, and maybe a, a couple other people. I'm like, gosh, 4th of July crowds, you guys are on it. How's everybody doing? Good? You got some good plans for the weekend? A little barbecue, friends, family? Hey, you'll see in your seats, and if you, if you don't have one near you, grab it. You can grab it from another seat. But we are in this series uh, on biblical worldview. And uh, uh, I put this together. I, I mean, I, I purchased this and then put it together. Let's just be real careful about the wording there. Go through your studies. Um, this has every, if you look, it's every book of the Bible. It gives an outline of, of timetable, who's in it, the different uh, things that take place in each of the, of the books of the Bible. If you go in the beginning, it talks about all the miracles of the Old Testament, the miracles of the New Testament, historical dates, and, and uh, all the, the uh, family tree leading up to Jesus, all the miracles that Jesus did, all the judges. I mean, it is a comprehensive, fantastic resource that I'm giving to you today for just $9.99. It is free. It's free to you. It's not free to everyone. It's free to you. Um, so over the next number of weeks, not only do you get this, but I, I've got some Bible studies that we're going to hand out. Look, this whole series on biblical worldview is shaped by a biblical worldview. What does that mean? You, you, you got to dive into this word, into this Bible. So I want to give you tools to do that. If you've ever been overwhelmed by this, meaning, oh my gosh, where do I start? What does it look like? All these books and different authors and times, and is it, you know, linear? Is it this or that? This, this resource will help you with that. It'll give you a great understanding. So grab a hold of that, and in the weeks to come, I have some more um, stuff for you and also for the kids. So I'm, I'm excited about that. During this series, the other thing we're doing is we're taking questions. It's not stump the pastor time. It is legitimate questions. Although someone tried to be funny last week and, and talk about LeBron James. I mean, I don't know how they lie in church about LeBron James. But they did and said he was the greatest basketball player ever. But I, that's crazy. Anyways, if you would like to, uh, if you're in the service and as I'm going, if there's a question that you have, you can text it to that number there. And at the end, we'll, uh, we'll tackle some of the questions um, that, that you send in. We're in this series called 37, and, and it's based around the fact that George Barna did a study, and it says that 37% of pastors in America um, truly live a biblical worldview, which literally should scare the hell out of us. 37% of men who stand up here on a Sunday believe the entirety of this scripture just 37%. And we wonder why culture is uh, invading this nation and the church 
hasn't or is losing its stronghold. A biblical worldview looks like this, a Christian worldview. God is at the center of a biblical worldview. Everything comes out of who he is, what he's done. In a secular worldview, it's centered around a man. It's centered around you as an individual. Everything you do that matters. Everything that you think matters. Everything that you grab a hold of is truth. That's a secular worldview. And what we've talked about a little bit is syncretism, which is this. What we've seen in this movement in America today is syncretism, which is amalgamation of, of different religions and different cultures and schools of thought and putting it all in a big pot and, and stirring it up and then just ingesting it. And what happens there is, is, is a scary thought. Your theology, your worldview starts to look a lot like you. And that's scary. That's scary if you truly know your heart apart from Jesus. A biblical worldview is tethered to this scripture. A, a, a biblical worldview rises out of the truth of this word. The way I live, the way I speak, the way I think should rise out of the truth of this scripture and who God is. That's a biblical worldview. And in week one, we talked about purpose and calling in life and what a biblical worldview looks like in this context. In week two, we talked about family and the value of life and what a biblical worldview looks like. Last week, we talked about, we tackled a lot in a short time, God, creation, and history, and a biblical worldview. If you want to listen to any of those, you can go to our podcast or you can go to our, our, our uh, website and you can pull those up. But that's the, the first three of the eight different ones that we are tackling over this next uh, eight weeks. Today, we want to talk about faith practices and a worldview. Faith practices in a worldview. Um, why are faith practices so important? What are faith practices? It's reading scripture, it's prayer, it's meditation, it's solitude, it's church coming together as a group, it's Bible study, it's small group, it's all of these things. But why is having a worldview around what this Bible asks us to do, why is it so important to us as Christians? Hebrews 5 tells us why. 5, 11 through 14. And it says this. We have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Let, let me pray. Father, I just come before you today and just, I, I pray that move me aside and that, that this word would go forth. God, that your word would, uh, I thank you that your word says that it doesn't come back void, that it would go deep in the souls of men and women. Lord, we would truly be a church, a people who walked in the conviction of this word and brought hope to the hopeless and light in the midst of darkness. God, speak this morning. God, we come with an expectation that you would do miracles, that you would speak, that you would heal, that you would, Lord, reveal yourself in a greater way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Hebrews, this is a pretty, a pretty in-your-face passage right here. 
We have much to say, but you're dull of hearing, he says. See, something's wrong in the church today, and I'm generalizing, but we see statistically when we look at this number 37, the, the American church is moving to this place where there's a dullness of hearing. It's a disease in the church where they don't hear the truth of Scripture, where you and I hear it, and then we just kind of we kind of fade it out because we've got phones and we've got TVs and we've got radios and we've got news and we've got all this stuff. We've got blogs and we've got podcasts and everything you can imagine. And, the, and, and when you ingest all of that, what happens is there's a dullness that comes over your ear for truth. There's a dullness that comes over your ears for truth. Seven times in, the, in Hebrews that, that we see... Paul warns us very specifically about this very thing. He says in 2 1, he says, Play close, Pay close attention, lest you drift away. In 3 1, he says, Consider Jesus. In 3 8, he says, Don't harden your hearts, as the Israelites did. In 3 12, he says, Take care, lest you have an evil heart. In 4 1, he says, Fear, lest you fail to enter, enter into God's presence and his rest. 4.11, he says, be diligent to enter into God's rest. In 4.14, he says, hold fast. He says, literally, grab a hold of this word. Grab a hold of it and ingest it and let it be a part of who you are. Stand on this word. Let it be the foundation in your life. Paul warns us against the dullness of hearing. Pay close and consider. Don't let your heart be hardened. Fear. Be diligent. Hold fast. Over and over this, this, this cautionary tale that Paul is telling us and asking us to be aware. Why? Why is Paul so concerned? Because he's worried about the church doing exactly what we're seeing happen in the American church today. A, a, a slow falling away from the foundation of this word. Now, let me be real clear. The church has not done everything right the last 250 years or however long this... How long is this... We're celebrating today. What are we at? Anybody know? Come on. That. Okay, that amount of time. We have not done everything right. But God is calling you today and me today because we are the church to step up and be the church. And Paul was concerned about this falling away. How does this happen? He, sa he says there's a dullness of hearing. It's a passive laziness that, that doesn't reach the grasp, the promises of God, and embrace what God says. It's a spiritual uh, laziness that we walk in. It's a spiritual, I've got my ticket to heaven. I don't necessarily need to read the Word. I don't necessarily need to pray or engage in church with others. It's this spiritual apathy that we walk in as believers and without the conviction. And it's, it's interesting that, that, again, the natural and the spiritual run parallel to one another. And what we see in America is this, is this apathy and this laziness. Now, what we see in the natural in America is this apathy and laziness. And it's come into our scripture and who we are as Christians. See, biblical passivity produces perpetual children. Does anybody, anybody ever see Step Brothers? One of the great all-time movies. <laughs> Who said okay? Who's arguing with me? I mean, come on, Gina. I mean, the writing is superb. The grammar is, is tight. She's a, she, she's a teacher, so 
it, 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 I, but it, they, it, when you see stepbrother, I mean, we it's terrible. It's on every week. And Chris is like, every, this is our routine, okay? I'm sitting watching stepbrothers, and, and she'll walk, and I go, hey, have you ever seen this? <laughs> every time. And it, every time I laugh, dad jokes, I laugh, okay? But, I, I mean, you watch it, and you can catch it at any point, and there's so many good lines. But it's about these perpetual children, these men who are 30 years old, 40 years old, and they can't get a job. They still live in, in kid world. And, and, and it's, when we look at the church today, unfortunately, it looks a lot like stepbrothers. Biblical passivity produces perpetual children. I want my way, God. I want you to do what I want you to do, God. I want you to feed me what I want to eat, God. I want you to tell me how my life is going, God. Who does that sound like? That sounds like a child. Time and time again, when my children are younger, they've learned since... They do once in a while, but as, as little kids, I want, I want, Dad, do this. This is how it should be done. And I go, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Sit down and shut, or, sorry. Jesus loves you. Be quiet. <laughs> and I can only imagine God sitting up there going, really, you want it done the way you want it done, and you want to understand it? You can't. Because I'm the creator of heaven and earth, and I see beginning to end. And I make all things beautiful in my time. And what you see right now and your unforgiveness and your bitterness and whatever it is you're wrestling through, I, you have no idea. And I'm God and you're not. And, and this is our fight. Who may dis discover that they are not living as Christians. Our fight is that no one would discover that they're not living as Christians. This whole series is about the fact that, that I cannot stand before God someday and have him say, why didn't you preach on the truth of my word? Why didn't you give the biblical foundations and this, a biblical worldview to your people so they can step out and be the men and women I've called them to be? Now, the responsibility doesn't just stand on me. It's just a part of the responsibility. But there is a responsibility. Then it goes to you. What are you doing? Are you reading your word? Are you praying? Are you engaging? Are you doing what God has called you to in this life? Are you doing a question, Mindy? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so what is, what is Paul getting at? He's getting at this, this piece of our scripture in Hebrews. It says, but solid food is for the mature. And those who practice, and here's the key, those who practice, First John talks about practicing such things. Those who practice have their senses trained to discern what? Okay, come on. To discern good and evil. Paul is saying that the mature have the ability to discern what is good and what is evil. The immature, the perpetual children, have no idea what is good and evil. And I can prove that to be true because my children at a young age, that when they were foolish, and, and they, they had no idea what was good and what was bad. To them, good was staying up till 12, eating ice cream, and watching, you know, uh, Beavis and Butthead. I don't know. That's so culturally irrelevant right now. But, but it was when I was a kid. To them, they think that's good. They have no ability to process and understand perpetual children. And the church has these children that haven't grown and matured. Discerning good and evil is not happening in the church. We see it with the statistics. 
41% of, of, of associate pastors, 28% associate teaching pastors. Third, think about that. 13, we've talked about it. 13% of teaching pastors, men who sit up here and teach the word of God live a, 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 and totally believe that they're, they're, this word is true and live a biblical worldview. And 12% of the ones that are teaching your children. That's a scary statistic. So why? Why has this happened? Romans 1.25 says this. They, or we, traded the truth about God for a lie. We exchanged the truth of who God is for a lie about the world, what the world says about him. What lies have we believed? There's, there's, I'm going to introduce another prevailing worldview that is out there today. MTD, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. It's a mouthful, so I'm just going to say MTD. This is, this is a prevalent worldview that we see with our youth today. Let me, let me show you and give you a, a picture of it. Counterfeit Christianity and MTD. Researchers from the National Study of Youth and Religion at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, took a close look at religious beliefs held by American teenagers. They found that the faith they held and described by most adolescents came down to something researchers identified as MTD. Here's the scarier part about this, and I'll give you a little more on it. Here's what's scary about this. It has taken root, but how has it taken root? This is what re researchers have found. Our children have been listening to us carefully. That's how it's taken root. Hold on a second. Think about that. The way that our children have moved into this place, MTD, is through listening to parents. Kids are observing their parents in larger culture and, and diligence and insight. They understand just how little their parents really believe, look at this, and just how much many of their churches and Christian institutions have accommodated themselves to the dominant culture. These kids aren't stupid. They watch, they see, they listen, and this is what they get. They sense the degree to which theological conviction has been sacrificed on the altar of individualism and relativistic understanding of truth. They see that the parents... Now, let me qualify this real quick. We're all hypocrites, okay? The, the reality is what we're trying to do as Christians is close the gap on hypocrisy. Look, it will never be this, nothing. Only Jesus lived the perfect life of no hypocrisy. You and I... So the goal here for you and I is this, that hypocrisy is not here, it's here. You're constantly trying to close that gap in life. Life is about closing gaps of truth, of hypocrisy, all these things. But what they're saying here is our kids have gone astray from this word, from the truth of God's word, because they, they, they look at the church, you and I, parents, and they see the theological conviction has been sacrificed at the altar of individualism and relativistic understanding of truth. What does that mean? I'm my own God. I'll determine what's true. I'll go to church. I'll play the game. I'll sit there and I'll, I'll, I'll nod when John speaks or I'll raise my hands in worship. Therefore, there's no condemnation. Please nod and please raise your hands. But, but, I, but when I leave this place, there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. What do our kids see? They observe the fact that the highest aspiration of those who shape this culture 
is to find happiness, security, and meaning in life. Now, you think about that. That sounds good. We think life, we think the key to life is happiness, security, and meaning. Nowhere in the scripture um, do I see God's end goal of me being happy. Can someone please find that for me? Because I really want to preach that message. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to be happy. Let me be real clear here. It doesn't mean that God wants us to walk around and frowns and miserable and, and all these. That's not what I'm talking about. But the end game for God is not that you would be happy, that you would live in the perfect life, that you would have the great marriage or you'd have the right finances, great kids, blah, 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 all that. That's not the end game. Happiness, contentment, yes. And out of contentment comes true hope and happiness. If you look for happiness in things, you'll jump from next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. But in Christ Jesus, Paul says, I've learned to be content in all things, good and bad. Security? Absolutely, my security comes here. What greater security than have eternal salvation? What greater security than have a... Now, the security the world's looking for, show me the money. The security the world's looking for, next job, next house, next car, next dollar. The security we're talking about, that Jesus is talking about in this word, is eternal. It lasts forever. One lasts forever, one lasts for a moment. Meaning, we talked about this a few weeks ago, meaning is derived from the creator of heaven and earth, telling you who you are. And the world is looking for meaning in all these places, social media, I mean, Dear Lord, I mean, there's so many fake celebrities, it just blows my mind. You know what I'm talking about, fake celebrities. Just because they got a new Twitter account with a million followers, you know, and all of a sudden they're a celebrity and they do nothing, you know? It's, it's crazy to me, and they make a ton of money. It's crazy. They're, they're, I don't know if you guys know this, but there are guys that make money playing video games on TV and other, or on, on, online, and kids watch them playing games. And they get paid. I'm like, oh my gosh. It's great. Good for them. <laughs> but meaning is here in this word. God telling you who you are. Counterfeit Christianity and moralistic therapeutic deism. As the researchers explain, for most teens, nobody has to do anything in life, including anything to do with religion. Whatever is just fine. If that's the per what the person wants. Whatever. Counterfeit Christianity, the casual whatever that we hear from kids today, whatever. You're going to church, whatever. This God is real, whatever. My truth, your truth, whatever. The casual whatever that marks so many Americans' in morals and theological landscape. Therefore, we can't discern good and evil because everything's a whatever and there's no truth to stand upon in understanding the scriptures and who God is. It's like, whatever. That's true for you, but it's not true for me. You can't have premarital sex. Whatever. That may be true for you. It's not true. You can't fill in the blank. Hey, that's true for you, but don't put that on me. Discerning good and evil is getting harder and harder and harder in this culture. Am, am, am I, you know what I'm saying here? I need some yeses here. <laughs> Gosh. Or I'm, you guys are just so locked in. You, you're just so focused. That it just, it, it's getting harder and harder. 
which means that you and I, the church, have to make it easier and easier. And the only way that that happens is through a biblical worldview. It's through the Word of God. It's through communicating with the creator of heaven and earth. It's through prayer. It's through fellowship. It's through this time. Counterfeit Christianity and discerning good and evil looks something like that. There's just, there's, it's all piled in, and somewhere in there's truth, and somewhere in there's good, somewhere in there's evil. And the ability to discern the two of them is almost non-existent. And to us and to the church, unfortunately, this is what it looks like. And unfortunately, in many ways, in many churches, people are looking to the church, and when there's this much confusion, they, just, they, they think that that's just, just another belief. When there's hard truth, when there's truth that delivers, when there's truth that changes your life, when there's truth that brings you hope, when there's truth that brings explanations of who you are, when you walk in that truth, clarity comes. But where we're at today is confusion. See, in the MTD worldview of God, it looks like this. This is what they think. A God exists, not the God. It's, it looks like this. God wants people to be good. Well, yes, God wants people to be good. But here's the problem with that. You can't be good on your own. You may be able to do good things, but the Bible says very clearly there's only one that's good. The central goal of life is to be happy. Again, we just talked about that. MTD worldview on God is God is needed to resolve my problem. That's why God is here, to unwind my mess, to deal with my problems. And the last one, good people go to heaven when they die. That scares me. Good people go to heaven when they die. And what is good? It's a relative term today. It means so many different things. And again, in Mark 10, Jesus said this. Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. Look, you think you're good? Pull grace and Jesus out of your life and look deep into your soul. What do you see? Brokenness. If you were to be honest, if, you, if we could... We could plug that HDMI cord into your soul, pull Jesus out, pull grace and mercy out, and put who you are up there and your thoughts and what you've thought about doing. And some of you have done, some of you haven't. But that, that everything, look at all you guys. Anybody want to volunteer? We can, I think we can make that happen. Um, it, well, there's no one good, not even one. No one righteous, Romans 3. No one. But the lie is this. I'm a good person. And we talk about the, relative to whom? You're good relative to what? I mean, in, in a secular sense, if, if, if we're talking about Mother Teresa, you're not very good. If we're talking about Jeffrey Dahmer, you're pretty dang good. I think, most of you, I hope. Most of you are better than Jeffrey, yeah. But there's only one standard, it's Jesus, who is perfect. Therefore, that is why we need a Savior. That is why we need Jesus. Because there's no hope in me, in my goodness. It's only in the blood of Jesus and his cross. Paul says this, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses. Because of, that word is, is critical, because of practice. And in 1 John it talks about practicing. And it talks about it in two tenses. There's a practicing what is good, and then there's a practicing what is evil. 
Both are methodical. Practicing is this. I'm going to get up today, and I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to worship. I'm deliberate. It may be written down. It may be, um, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what the schedule looks like. And I'm going to practice throughout the day being kind. I'm going to practice throughout the day engaging others. I'm going to practice this thing. Now, sin, the other side, 1 John, it says, those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What he's talking about there is those who practice sin. And I know a lot of people that are really good at practicing sin. Today, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go do this with this guy, this woman. I'm going to go do this with my finances. I'm going to go do this with my mouth. I'm going to do this with my language. I'm going to do this with my words. And they're very deliberate about it. Paul says, those who practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You want to discern good and evil? It starts with practicing in this word. It starts with prayer. It starts with surrounding yourself by people that are practicing the same things so that you can go play the game. See, I practiced so I could play the game. I, don't pra I never practiced because I loved practice. Dear Lord, practice was painful. It's arduous. It's, it's, it's just it's repetitive. It's, it's, now, uh, when I played, I, I practiced because I loved being in the game. And the reason I practice and read this scripture is because is, is I love being in the game. And being in the game looks like this, engaging my neighbors. Being in the game means that, that I'm going to bring the hope of Jesus to someone who doesn't know. Being in the game means that someone can look at my life and see that maybe it's a little bit different than those who don't know Jesus. Being in the game means that I'm ready at any time that God wants to use me. But if I haven't practiced, you're not getting in the game. I, I, there's no one that I've ever played professional sports with or, or amateur sports that didn't practice and just got to play the games. No one. Absolutely no one. And you think and wonder sometimes, we wonder why, why God doesn't, why doesn't God give me the encounters that maybe he gives you, Pastor John, or, or any one of us? Why, doesn't, why don't I get those same, you know, times with people and, and you know, and, and whatever? Where are you practicing? What does your practice schedule look like? What does your time look like? Here's the problem with, with the church, Paul says. You no longer try to understand you ought to be teachers. So when we look at the, the, the progression, the sanctification process when you come into this relationship with Jesus, is it's not just your ticket to heaven, it's your ticket to heaven, and then, then God kind of moves you along. And, and as he moves you along, he, he says, grab a hold of someone and, and pour into their lives that, that they might have the same hope that you walk in, that you might teach them. You know, he says, you need someone to teach you. You, you need milk. You're still, still on the milk. In other words... You have no biblical worldview. We're not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. We don't know what that is. Therefore, you cannot discern between good and evil. If you've ever wondered why, man, why can't I discern? Why can't I discern the Word of God? Why can't I discern and hear the Word of God? Why, why is that? Probably because you're not practicing. I know when I don't practice, I have a tough time hearing God. I know when, when I'm not in, intimately involved with my wife 
on all levels, I have a tough time hearing what she's saying. We were just in Texas. A real tough time hearing what you're saying because I was so self-involved. It's the same thing with the Lord. It's the same thing with our relationship with God. So now what? Oh, that's great. Now what? Growing in Christ Jesus. From the milk of the word to the muscle of faith and the acts of righteousness. Because this is what it looks like. You come in and you get right with Jesus. You grab a hold of this word and, the, and, the, and you drink it in the milk of this word. But the problem with that is it can't stay there. See, God has called us to exercise our faith. To use our muscles. And when you use your muscles, they grow. Your, your, your competence, your excitement about it. All these things start to happen. But if we just sit and drink in the milk of the word and just in our own little world and don't get out and exercise the faith that God has called us to, we're weak in our muscles. See, but here's what happens. We drink the word of God. We go and exercise by preaching the gospel, by living the gospel, and the acts of righteousness are what we do for others, what we do in this world, how we impact this world. Why is this so important? Have you ever seen an 11-year-old breastfeed? That's a serious question. Yeah. Oh, oh they have, there's these whole groups. It, was it 60 minutes? I don't know. What did we watch that one time? We watched a show. There's this whole group of, of people, more in Europe, which explains a lot, where, where on-demand breastfeeding for young kids. It's the most awkward, dumb, stupid, stupidest thing I've ever seen. I'm judging. Like when your 11-year-old comes off the baseball diamond and says, mom, can I get a little of that? You know we're in trouble. It, it, <laughs> mother's milk. Well, now what? Church, it's time to get off the fill in the blank. I wanted to say it so bad, but conviction stopped me. You're welcome. It's time to get off that. Hebrews 6 says this, Therefore let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundations of repentance from acts that lead to death and the faith in God, instructions about cleansing rites and laying on the hands and the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment and God permitting, we will do so. It's time to move beyond the elementary truths. It's time to move beyond the milk. It's time to exercise your faith. It's time to use your muscles. It's time to do what God has called us to do. It's that be-do thing where we sit in this be and who we are in Christ Jesus and walk out and do what he's called us to do. That's the church. What Paul does, what does Paul tell us to move on to? From milk to faith and righteousness. To faith and righteousness. To steak and potatoes. If all I drank was milk, it, 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 you'd get real dull. But you've got to have some substance in there. In other words, there's this tension of, of, of the Word of God and doing the Word of God. You've, you've got to have that too. What do steak and potatoes look like? What does that look like in our lives? It looks like standing for truth. Steak and potatoes looks like this. I have a biblical worldview. I have, I have renewed my mind with the washing of the word. And tough things are coming. And I'm going to stand for truth in the midst of culture that says 
that a man's a woman and a woman's a man and it has nothing to do with their biology, but it has to do with their choice. I'm sorry. The truth is God created man and woman. And that's going to piss some people off. You, you, you want to know what it, what it means to exercise your faith? Get out of the milk of the word. Step into the truth of what God's called you to. And at the expense of you taking some blows, standing. That's what it looks like. It looks like a letter. This is crazy to me. So it looks like a letter. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, in my humility, brag a little bit. So, because um, I don't ever do that. So as I was, I, I, I know you guys don't know what I'm talking about, but as I was signing cards, playing cards from when I played, I got a letter from someone. That was kind of funny. <laughs> kind of. Did anybody else get to sign hockey cards this week? <laughs> Thank you. The humility flows. But in one of the, the things, which, uh, let me just, it, is, it blows my mind that someone is sitting there sending me a card that was 35 years ago to a guy who was incredibly average and wants an autograph. That blows my mind, but I, I'll take it. But in this, he sends cards, and he sends me this letter. Do you want to know what it looks like faith practices? I don't know this guy. He says, hi, my name is Seth. I'm 35 years old. Um, he, he, he goes through everything that I did in my career, which is crazy. I'm... <laughs> Um, I'm sure it's very exciting for you to uh, play in the, the NHL, but John, I'm also writing you to tell you about my Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and, and he, he just writes this letter and starts preaching to me. I, I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh. I gave him an extra card and signed it. And said, <laughs> said I know Jesus. You know what righteousness looks like? You know what faith looks like? It's, it looks like you writing a letter to someone that you have no idea and telling them about Jesus. Do you know what it looks like? It looks like you taking a second uh, in your day and, and, and sharing the gospel with someone by just loving them well. That's what it looks like. You know what it looks like? It looks like 5 a.m. reading and prayer. This one... Is, is it, I, I, was, I wrestled with. Because I, I, I like to leave the house early. I, I try to get out of there, although I've been sleeping in lately. I, I try to get out by five. I try to get out of the house. Some of it's strategic because there's a lot of kids, and if I can get out by five, I miss all the chaos, and she's really <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're wonderful. I don't want to tell all my secrets. Um, but someone's just going to work. But, but this one just, just crushed me because... I remember distinctly growing up as a kid and watching this woman every morning on her face, reading and praying. And it shaped my life. Thank you. And I was thinking back, I'm like, gosh, I don't think that my kids ever see me at the table reading the Bible and praying. It's kind of like, ah, well, there's no condemnation. God is good. They see her. <laughs> but, but righteousness and faith looks like that to your children. It looks like inviting your neighbors to dinner. You know, we're, we're not just asking you to do that because we figured you got nothing better to do in the summer. But it's a way that, that God, you, great things happen over a meal. And it's a way to 
open up with neighbors and family and friends and a way to preach the gospel, the gospel of kindness, of hospitality. And then when the time comes, you preach the gospel of Jesus. It looks like moving to Peru. We've got two friends that, that sold a bunch of stuff, and, and they're in Peru for a year or what? I don't know. For a, They sold everything, and they're, they're in Peru talking to all these Peruvian people about Jesus. Very successful people. Own a business and consulting and blah, blah, blah. Said, no, no, no. We're, we're go- that's, what, that's what it looks like. Now, not all of us are called to go to Peru, but I'll tell you this. All of us are called to have a meal with someone. It looks like praying every Wednesday morning. My wife just said, hey, um, this, is, this is what we do. You know, righteousness, and, and, and it's not an axe thing. It's because of who Jesus is. But it looks like praying with a, a group of believers on Wednesday morning. That's what it looks like. It looks like renewing my mind with the washing of this word every single day. Faith and righteousness it looks like a washing. Maturity looks like these things. That's what Paul was talking about. Don't stay in that place of immaturity. He says, as you do these things, you'll discern good and evil. You'll have truth. You'll understand. It looks like loving the unlovable. I'm so proud of my daughter who is finishing nursing school. And, and she has this heart for the unlovable. What, is, what are the unlovable? The addicts, the homeless. Holly, Holly's heart for the unlovable and the homeless. It, it, righteousness and, and faith and exercising your muscles in, in Christ Jesus looks like loving those who others don't love. That's what it looks like. It looks like understanding the word of God. It looks like this revelation that takes place when I, when I read this each day and God goes, let me show you something. Let me just show you something right here. It looks like trusting God with your fear. You know what, you know what exercising your muscle is? It looks like this. God, I don't know where the next check's coming from, but I'm going to trust you. God, I don't know where the job's coming from, but I'm going to trust you. God, I don't know where the healing's coming from, but I'm going to trust you. And, and, and trusting God is, is, is this, that the vehicle through which you bring the blessing, I'm going to rejoice and say thank you. It never looks like we think it's going to look. It looks completely different. It looks like church. It looks like this body of believers that come together on a Sunday, on a 4th of July hot weekend in a, an old gymnasium with with a sweating pastor. It looks like the fellowship that takes place here. It looks like the prayer that takes place here. It looks like word, pray, day. That I look at my word and I read each day. And I pray and have a conversation with Jesus. It looks like sharing your grace story looks like the fact that you have the, the, the answer to life and death, Jesus Christ in you, and God wants you to share that with someone else. That's what it looks like. It looks like faith in the middle of crazy. It looks like standing in the middle of chaos. It looks like in the midst of everything going south, going, okay, God, you got me. And it looks like 
Jesus. That's what faith looks like. All those things, which is Jesus. That's what exercising your spiritual muscles looks like. That's what Jesus did. That's who Jesus is. That's what we're called to. And when we do, we can discern good and evil. You cannot discern good and evil. You cannot discern good and evil if this word is not in you. And you'll say, oh, I can discern. Yes, you may be able to have moments of discern, but here's what we found, and statistics prove it to be true. Remember last week, you start sliding away from that truth, and you start grabbing a hold of other truths, and it'll change you. It will change you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for these men and women. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, let us be men and women who grab a hold of the meatier things. God, let us preach the gospel. Let us love others well. Lord, let us, all those things we talked about and we saw, oh God, let us not live on mother's milk. Let us not be immature believers. Let us be believers who grow in our faith and, and bring hope in the midst of hopelessness. God, I thank you that is who these people are in this church. God, as we dive into your word, you change us. You change us. God, I pray a blessing over these men and women. Let them be the church that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, as we stay in this attitude of, of worship, um, we're going to receive communion. And uh, if you look in the backs of your chairs, you got the... We've got our communion cups here. Um, communion is, is, is a sacrament that is incredibly sacred. And, and we do it every week, but I don't take it lightly. We are not to take this lightly. The Bible is very clear about that. It's a time where we as a church come together. The Bible says that when you come together, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. And it's this alignment that's taken place, the alignment of you with the cross and who Jesus is. And today as you receive this on your own, take a moment though and pray. Examine your heart. Examine your heart. Is there anything you need to repent from? Is there anything that God spoke to you today? that you need to deal with? Is there any bitterness, unforgiveness, or hurts that need to be healed? The faith aspect, ask him to heal it. Ask him to heal it. And then when you walk out of this place, renew your mind and watch him wash it with the water of the word. So take a moment right now and receive. Bible says that on the night he was betrayed he took the bread and he broke it and says do this and eat this in remembrance of me and then he took the wine that represented the covenant of his blood he said drink this in remembrance of me 
Father, I thank you for your son who died for our sins that we might have life, life everlasting. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. We're going to uh, now answer a couple of the questions that you guys have posted up. Are we good, Mindy? Or We got one. That's, all. That's fine. That gets me to lunch even quicker. Come on. Kind of funny. Kind of funny. Thank you, Melvin. All right, go ahead. How do you make faith practices a habit amidst busy work and life, family life? What are things you do? It's a great, great question. It's, it's priority. It's, it's measuring what, what matters. Here's what I know. I'm a better man when I read this word. Here's what I know. I have greater discernment for my life when I pray and I read this word. Here's what my wife knows. I'm much kinder when I read this word. She said amen. Um, there, there are choices that we make that determine what happened in our life. And it's, it, it, there, there's no magic. It's just, I'm going to get up and I'm going to choose to worship. Paul, or, or, or David says this, oh my soul, I choose to worship you, O Lord. It's a choice that I make. I'm going to worship you, Lord. So, wisdom is this. Have a time each day that you read your word and just get in that pattern of reading your word. Now, prayer and conversation happens throughout the day. So when you talk about faith pra practices and, and habits, well, instead of getting in my car and turning on, you know, uh, one of the talk radio stations... I turn on worship music and I pray. I turn on, instead of turning on, you know, ACDC, I turn on some, some you know, Lauren Dagg and, and, and pray and ask God questions. Um, family, look, craziness is not going away. Family crazy is not going away. But to be the man of God that I need to be for my family, to be the woman that she needs to be for our kids, get up and we read. We set the tone for the day. So some of the things that, that I do is I read, I pray throughout the day, I make sure and surround myself by people that are like-minded, that I know love Jesus, that I can bounce questions off, that will challenge me, that, that we can talk through, that we can wrestle with. I make sure and come to church every Sunday. I, come on, it's kind of funny, kind of funny. <laughs> Even if I didn't do this for a living, I would make sure my family's in church every Sunday. You got a second one. All right. Next one. Hopefully that helped. Yes? No, maybe? One second. Go. Oh. How do we engage with the world to spread the gospel without letting it engage us and make us apathetic Christians? Well, I think first thing, first and foremost is what we just said. You get up and you renew your mind with the washing of the word every single day. You engage with God and, and you have that conversation and through prayer and uh, throughout the day. So that, that is, is critical. Um, and, and when you do that, what happens is this. If you remember, the, I don't know if you remember the illustration. Paul was up here a couple weeks ago and he was standing on a chair and uh, um, we're talking about the world pulling you down or you pulling them up. It's much easier for the world to pull you down than it is for you to pull them up. So what, if, you, if you're not renewing your mind, if you're not surrounding yourself by the right people, then you're probably going to lean towards and head down that road of those who are 
less than godly. It's specific choices. It's, it's funny to me because in, in, in real, in, in life, in the natural, so many, we, have no, we have no problem making work a priority. How many people show up to work 15 minutes late every day? Anybody? Okay. Uh, how, okay, how many people show up to work 15 minutes late twice a week? Dang. Thank you. Honest women. I love it. So, at, at, then you stay later. Okay, but my, my point is this. How many people show up late to church? Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. These are consistent. <laughs> yes. Or Wednesday prayer. It, look, it, it is in the world, I make choices because I know the, I know the consequences. And, uh, you know, as an athlete, I showed up and worked out every single day. I did mental preparation. I made sure and ate the right th- to eat the right things and make sure I was doing the right things because I knew the end game. Sometimes in Christianity, we don't necessarily feel the end game. We don't necessarily see the end game because we're not in it. So we don't do the practices that will allow us to win in the game. But every single day, there's an encounter that we can have, first of all, with Jesus, but he wants us to have it with someone else. But if you're not practicing and in the game, those opportunities will, A, God won't bring them, or B, you won't see them. Because you haven't practiced. So I think, how do we engage the world and spread the gospel? Where you work, where you play, where you live, where you eat. And when you wash your mind with this word and when you communicate with God and you go, God, open doors, he opens doors. And you have eyes that can actually see it. And you'll spread the gospel. You'll spread the gospel and preach the gospel. All right. Oh, yes. Sure. Absolutely. Come up here and say something. Grace, I'm going to have you guys come up too while she's... Um, Just real quick. Last week I felt like the Lord kind of highlighted Proverbs where it says, and he who is wise wins souls. And then kind of after that, not arguments. So I think the gospel is best shared, like he's saying, where you work, where you play, out of relationship, right? Because when we're awake and aware to have relationship with those around us, then you have a space where they ask questions or where you feel the freedom to open, you know, and say something and share the gospel or say something about your grace story as opposed to kind of beating people up with it, you know, which we've kind of had that idea about in the past and stuff. So just making sure there's the relationship that's there first before you come in there, guns a-blazing and stuff. That's good. I, I think especially in these times, culture and everything that's going on, um, God's not calling you to have an argument with someone. What's, there's one more? I, 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 Okay, one more. God's not calling you to argue. In times of intensity where you are in a fire, we search for the joy in his spirit and word. Are there times that there is no rest? Is there a problem with our hearts? Or are there truly times of no rest? Um, I've, I have come to the uh, conclusion with my wife, we will never not be tired. There's a difference between not being tired and rest. I can sit in rest because of who Jesus is in my life. Big difference. I'm tired all the time. I'm, I'm tired working two jobs, living with her. I mean, I'm tired. Come on. I'm tired. 
But you know what? I sit in the rest of this word. I sit in the rest of who Jesus is. I don't, I, I, I still have all the crazy, but I sit in the rest. And the way I sit in the rest is by engaging him and his word. And, and so that, is there a problem with our hearts? Yes, there's a problem with our hearts. Our problem with our hearts is apart from Jesus, there's no one good. And I know that. So that's why I engage his grace, his mercy, and who he is. So if, if there's no rest, you find rest here in his word. You find rest in who he is. You know, I, Eddie, we talk all the time. He lives in the midst of crazy with his job and everything. But there's, there's a rest in, in who God is in his life. Big difference. Let me pray, and then I want you to we'll stand up and go out with this last song. So, Father, I thank you for this time, these questions, for your word, Father God. God, let us not live on that mother's milk, but let us engage in maturity through faith practices, strengthening, preaching the gospel in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we go out here?